0: Welcome to the Forger Podcast, where I talk with cottage food entrepreneurs about their strategies for running a food business from home. I'm David Crable and today I'm talking with Susan Ting. But real quick, I wanted to check, have you created a website for your business yet? And if you have, do you pay for it? A lot of entrepreneurs still think they need to spend money to get a good website, and that is simply not true anymore. I am a really big fan of Square Online. That's what I use for my fudge businesses website and I created a free tutorial that will walk you through how to set up a totally free website in less than an hour. And in case you think free also means cheap it's actually quite the opposite. I think Square Online is hands down the very best website tool for most cottage food businesses. So if you want to learn more you can watch my free tutorial by going to forger.com website. All right, so I have Susan Ting on the show today. Susan lives in Needham, Massachusetts, and sells gluten free mochi baked goods with her cottage food business, Everyday Bake Shop. During the pandemic, Susan was feeling burnt out from her corporate job and finally decided to quit. She had no intention to start a business of her own, but after doing more baking at home, along with encouragement from friends and family, she realized that her love for baking could become more than just a hobby. Due to her son's allergies, she already had plenty of experience baking gluten-free desserts and finally decided to jump all in with the business to see where it would lead. Susan started her business just over a year ago and she's already selling at a few markets each week and has built a strong following of returning customers. In this episode, you'll hear about her transition from corporate burnout to cottage food and what it's been like starting a business with very unique and high-end products. And with that, let's jump right into this episode. Welcome to the show, Susan. Nice to have you here.
1: Thank you, David. Thanks for having me.
0: Susan, can you tell us how this business got started?
1: Yeah, so every day's bake shop is fairly new for me. It's only been a little bit over a year since I started this business. I really started in the beginning of last year after I quit my corporate job. I was working corporate for a long time. Honestly, just burnt out from it, needed space to just kind of relax a little bit. And I never went back and decided to start a home bakery instead.
0: Well, I, I want to ask you a little bit about the burnout. So what what were you doing as a corporate job?
1: Yeah, so I was in the Bay Area. I was working in tech as an HR and global benefits Working in a company during the COVID time, they were just thriving, growing really fast. And it was, you know, a typical desk job. And after so long, kind of doing the same thing in a sense over and over again, having more of a workload and working in a different time zone because I was working for a Bay Area company while living in Massachusetts. It was a lot.
0: (laughs) How did you know, like, this has to stop?
1: That's a great question. You know, I didn't notice the symptoms for a long time. And I think, especially during the pandemic, when I was stuck at home, raising two children and they're in school. And then my husband also has his full-time job. In the beginning, it was mental. It was, you know, almost like a brain fog, like so much going on, juggling everything. Mm. And then physical symptoms occur where my body was just overtired, um, I remember clearly one time I was started having chills and shivering it was like a reaction to something and I don't want I, I don't have any allergies it was just so strange it was just from I think the exhaustion my body just broke down and I just basically had to like take a nap like a long nap in the middle of the day out of nowhere it was signs like that that you think oh maybe it's just me no it's It's a lot more than that. So all the compounding symptoms, mental, physical, made me realize, oh, maybe it's not just me. It's something else. And and then once I left my job and I took a three-month break thinking that I'll go back, you know, that three months time, everything was different physically, mentally. I was clearer. I felt lighter. I was happier. And that was definitely a sign for me that my job wasn't doing anything for me as a person for my body and for my health. So yeah, it was pretty crazy. I've never went through something like that before.
0: I'm sure many people can kind of relate to this feeling of like, they just can't do all the things that they need to do in a day and feeling stuck, right? Because maybe they're relying on this income. So were you in a position of being able to leave without having to worry about the income piece?
1: I was. And I think that's the reason why I can do what I do now is because I have the luxury to be able to leave my job and my husband still has his job so we can still live off of one income. And that was helpful. I know that not everyone can do that. You know, talk to your HR team because there are ways to take a personal leave or medical leave when that happens to you because if your body is telling you that something's wrong. It's probably because something is wrong and we just have to be more attuned to that.
0: So you clearly quit your job for personal reasons, not because you were trying to pursue a business. So where did this whole business kick in?
1: I told myself I was going to quit my job and find a new wine in three months. I would just go back to the same type of job in three months time and I'll be fine. But three months passed and I was looking up jobs. I even got a few jobs. Actually, I actually went through interview process and I actually got some offers and I just actually turned them down. Like they were great offers and I just I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't say yes to them because I know, well, if I go back, it'll basically be the same thing. I'll be doing the same thing. Am I going to go through another burnout? And I don't want that. So I decided, okay, let's just take some more time off. And then during that time, I believe it was around Christmas, the holidays. And I always baked on holidays. I've been baking. Self-taught baker, 15 plus years. I always bake for fun, for friends, family. And I always make this cookie box. And my friend said, can I order three boxes from you? I want to share it with my neighbors. And I was like, you're going to pay me? Like, he's like, yeah, I want to pay you. And I was like, OK, like I would have done it for free because, I again, I love sharing my food. I made three boxes of various cookies and treats and shared it. And then I thought, huh, there might be something here. From then on, I just started researching and your podcast, your website was actually one of the first resources I found to help me understand how to get a license, how to do this legally in my home. And from then on, I just never stopped. I just continued on.
0: So what did that look like in the beginning? I mean, it's one thing to be like, oh, maybe I could sell these. It's another thing to actually like put yourself out there.
1: It was definitely frightening. I I would say officially I became a business in April, and I have to say a little push came from my husband. I've always been very creative. I, I feel like I've always been more right a right sided brain. Like I've always been creative, and I just knew that I needed a creative outlet, and baking is one of them. So my husband really was someone that says, You should just give it a shot, try it. He actually created the LLC for me. So it's legit, legally business LLC. And then I start researching online. There was lots of information, but it was also everywhere. So it was definitely hard to kind of find the resources I need to understand. Okay, how do I do this? What kind of certifications do I need? Where do I go? What does my town need as well legally to start this business? So it took a long time to get there. And there was definitely, I guess you can say a little bit of fear of really going all out. But knowing that I have nothing to lose, that, you know, this is it. Like, not like I have a job anyway. Why not? I think that helped me overcome that fear because I'm going to give it a shot. I don't know what that timeline looks like, but it's now or never. And that, I think, is what helped push me forward to get the license I need and get it inspection done and then get all the insurance as well. And I started my first Instagram page, Everyday Bake Shop. And that was I realized, oh, this is the real deal. I'm putting it out there. I'm putting it in the universe. So hopefully it'll work out.
0: So after you made that first sale to a friend, and you said that was around Christmas time, and then April, you said, was when you actually got licensed. Were you just doing little orders here and there?
1: I was, for, yep, yeah, for friends and family. I, again, started An Instagram page kind of telling my friends, hey, like I'm doing a box, you know, like a little pop up, a little box of mixed treats. If you're interested, let me know. You know, I started Google Sheet, taking orders, like was very small. And then that's when, you know, in April, when everything was finalized with my business, that's when I really put my information out there and created a a website, everything.
0: So you already had some sense that this was at least going to work to some degree right before you jumped all in into the licensing process, which can sometimes be significant in Massachusetts.
1: Yes and no, to be honest. I think it's, again, the whole thing about I have nothing to lose. I have no job anyway. Why not? So did I understand like what was going to be coming along or what was expected and what I had to go through. Not really. But again, it also didn't scare me because I I knew it was like one way. Like I got to do this. There's nothing else on the plate right now. Why not? So I did it.
0: So what was the licensing and inspection process like in Massachusetts for you?
1: I read the state. I had to go on the state website, read what they needed. But obviously, I live in the town of Needham. And Needham obviously have their paperwork that they would need. And and really, they needed me to get a allergen Certificate in Massachusetts, making sure I understand about cross-contamination, et cetera. I needed to get a, a food handling certificate as well. So I had to take a course and go through that and I make an appointment with the Needham Health Inspector Honestly, I was very nervous, but it was fairly easy. Like they came in, they make sure my area was clean. The kitchen was clean. My food, my products were labeled. I also had another refrigerator. So being able to keep my products that I need for just baking for the business helps having it in a separate fridge. And you know what? It was like maybe 20 minutes. And they were like, yeah, you pass. Like. It was surprisingly, again, I was very scared that I wasn't going to pass. It was going to be really difficult, but it was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be.
0: Well, that's good to hear. I've definitely heard some horror stories actually out of Massachusetts, and I think that's one of the tricky things with your state is it really depends even like town to town. It can vary quite a bit. So it's good to hear that for some people, it's it's quite easy to do. Now, you have kids, Yes.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. Two.
0: Two kids. And how old are they?
1: One is nine and the other is five.
0: So they're school age.
1: Yeah. One is in preschool, heading into kindergarten, and my son is just finished third grade.
0: So there wasn't a part of you that was thinking about maybe just staying at home?
1: You know, yes, I definitely thought about it. When my son was born, I stayed at home with him for a good year and a half before and loved that time. I really did enjoy it. And being with my family is very important. It's priority. And and that's also a reason why I, I had to quit my corporate job was because There was no balance. There was no life and work balance for me. It was always work, always on. So that was definitely part of it. I definitely thought about maybe I should stay at home and watch the kids. But, you know, my son is already in the public school system and it was just my daughter. And she really liked her daycare, her preschool. So my husband, who is very wise, said to me, look, you can't stay at home and you can't pursue this business. You can probably do it both, but you're not going to do it well. So if you seriously want to try to pursue this home bakery business, you got to go all in. Then maybe you should just go all in and not worry about the children. Because let's be real. If you have kids at home, you don't get a lot of work done. (laughs) Um, And that's why, you know, again, it's only been over a year, and my daughter is going to be heading into kindergarten, so she'll be in a public school system as well. But I definitely really enjoy having the flexibility of owning my own business because I still made time for them. So after school, I was able to pick them up, so I still get time with them. I wasn't missing out, and that's was the most important thing for me—that I was still available for their activities after school, bring them to school, wake up with them, feed them breakfast, and not have to rush off to work. You know, so I had a balance there it was fine.
0: And I see that your son, at least in part, inspired the direction of this business.
1: Yes, he did. He definitely inspired my business in the way and how I bake. So when he was born, he was having skin issues. And around two and three, he had some serious health issues where we felt hopeless. We didn't know what was happening. We, he was prescribed medicine, but it wasn't helping him. It was making his condition worse. And we're just like confused, like, you know, Western medicine is supposed to help. Why isn't it helping? So I obsessively went online and just started researching. How can I help? You know, what can I do? Because as a parent, it stinks being helpless that you can't help your son. And I started, you know, found a blog. I don't exactly remember what it was, but it basically saying that food can be a culprit to health, what we eat, what we consume. So I was like, okay, well, gut health was definitely important. I was living in the Bay Area at the time and they are very fast forward with health in general. So I was like, okay, gut health. What does that mean? It means changing his diet. He couldn't eat gluten, dairy, milk nuts, all the major allergens. Like I decided to take that all away, start baking. I have no idea how to bake gluten-free, nothing, none of that. I, I just usually bake regular good old cakes, cupcakes, cookies, you know, with all the gluten, fat and stuff. And I had to teach myself how to bake and stumble upon using rice flour. So mochi, donuts, muffins, cakes, started using rice flour a lot because I didn't want him to miss out on, you know, his birthday and not having a cake once I discovered those ingredients, it became easier. That's how I kind of fell into baking gluten-free, baking with rice flour. So all my baked goods right now, not all, but most of my baked goods are mochi treats. So they're naturally gluten-friendly as well. And and that's the story behind it. So my son definitely inspired me to think outside the box and to creatively make treats that are allergen-friendly. So here I am.
0: I saw the term you just mentioned, naturally gluten-free, naturally gluten-friendly. That word naturally, it's not usually something I see in conjunction with the term gluten-free. Like, what are you trying to say there?
1: I just want people to understand, hey, like I work in a residential kitchen where cross contamination can happen. So I'm almost like wary of using the word 100% gluten-free, even though technically it's true. My baked goods don't have any gluten because again, of the flour that I use. I think for me, just make it feel better and let people understand that yes, technically it's gluten-free, but if you have high sensitivities, like I just want to ensure them that there's still contamination in my kitchen.
0: So most of your products are gluten-free. How many of your customers are gluten-free?
1: Not all of them. I would say I have a handful of customers who can't eat gluten and then there's some who have celiac. But have also tried my products and they're fine eating it, which is amazing because I know celiac can be really serious for some people. But yeah, I, I would say a handful can't eat it, but majority of them just likes to eat them.
0: Well, can people like tell that they're gluten free? Like oftentimes there's a pretty significant texture difference, right?
1: Yes, they can tell. And they always ask me the number one question at the farmer's market is like, what's the texture? Like, what's the difference between using glutinous rice flour versus like regular flour? And it's the texture. Like, you can taste the chewiness of it, and it's like almost bouncy and chewy. So, it is a fairly different texture from like a good old cake, but the taste is. I would say most of them get used to it right away once they eat and they're like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. Like I've never tried anything like it. And then some are like, you know, the more maybe traditional dessert lovers are like, oh yeah, it's okay. Like it's not exactly for them. And that's okay too. It's not
0: for everybody. You make most of your products with the term mochi. Can you explain, if somebody's not familiar, what, what is mochi?
1: Yeah, so mochi is a term that I use to describe desserts that's made with rice flour. I actually lived in Japan a little bit after I graduated college, and they have many desserts made with rice flour, and then you'll see them everywhere. So I want to say mochi on my dessert menu. It's because I use rice flour as the main ingredient there.
0: You talked a little bit about your background, like how has your heritage influenced this business?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm Chinese-American. I was born here by my mom, have used rice flour in her baking. And it's what I kind of grew up eating without realizing that it's made with rice flour. So it's always been part of me, baking with these ingredients I lived in Japan for a year and also learned a lot about mochi in Japan. It's very big there. They have these great desserts and they're filled with some sort of traditional paste that's sweetened. And it's what they like to eat over there. So I think learning about the Japanese culture and my mom making food for me and baking treats for my Chinese background, it really inspired the way I bake now um you know i i was born and raised in america so i grew up with chocolate cakes and brownies and donuts so i love mixing both my culture and american culture and creating you know, what I now have some mochi donuts. It's kind of the best of both cultures, you know, who doesn't love a good donut and why not make it a mochi donut. So yeah, that's really inspired me as well as having my Chinese American background and creating these delicious desserts for everyone to try.
0: Do you share that with people? Like, it just seems like it's part of your story and that it would be something that you would talk about at markets.
1: I do share that story. I mean, I think what inspired my business is really my son, right? And his allergens. And it reminded me to teach myself how to bake with this. But I do. I do talk about it. Maybe it's not as often as I would like to. But when I do get a chance, I do share that story. Maybe it's a good idea to kind of share more on that on Instagram as well.
0: So do you have to educate customers a lot?
1: I do. So I live in a town, Nita, and I would have to say that at least around my area, a lot of people have never tried anything like that, especially being around the Boston area. So again, I moved from the Bay Area and the Bay Area has many types of desserts like these, you know, like mochi donut is a big thing out there. But now it's popping up here as well. So there are definitely a few places in the Boston area that make these mochi donuts. They're deep fried and then they're glazed with all these various glazes. So now it's definitely more popular. And I think people understand it's like, oh, I had one before, but my treats are all baked. I bake everything. I don't like to fry anything. So I always say it's a little bit healthy-ish. And it is a little bit different from a fried mochi donut. But yeah, I, I do have to explain what that means. And then funny enough, a lot of customers are like, oh, do you mean those ice cream that's wrapped in mochi? And I was like, Yes and no. (laughs) It doesn't taste like that, really. But the wrapper is mochi. It's rice flour they use to wrap around the ice cream. So it's similar, same ingredient, but it's different taste completely. (laughs) So I get that a lot about the ice cream and mochi.
0: Now, I believe mochi requires some level of processing to make it. Do you make your own mochi?
1: No, I do not. I buy the flowers. It's a brand called Coda Farms. I love it. It's the only brand I use. And I I do not
0: grind or mill my own
1: rice flour. I don't even know how to start that.
0: Where do you get that from?
1: Any supermarket now, if you go to like the Asian aisle, like I found it at Wegmans, you definitely find them in Asian stores, but big supermarkets like Wegmans definitely have them now. And and it's like a little box. It's an expensive little box, but it's definitely worth it for me to buy it than make my own.
0: So you mentioned the mochi donuts. What other items do you have on your menu?
1: Yeah, I also make mochi muffins, which is my personal favorite because sometimes I don't want to glaze everything. And my mochi muffins has this crispy exterior which I love the crunch with the chewy inside. I also make mochi brownies, mochi donuts, mochi brownies, mochi muffins, And I started getting into cookies, kind of the chunky Levain style cookies. And surprisingly, people have really enjoyed them. So I started to do that. But that, of course, is that mochi base and it's definitely 100% good old chocolate chip cookie.
0: Yeah, I saw that you sort of are hopping on this, you know, Levain style, like huge cookie trend. But it sounds like you're not like super focused on keeping your business niche down to only gluten free products like that's not super important to you.
1: Again, I like being able to think outside of box and be creative. Like, So it's whatever I feel like I want to try. I would say a majority is going to be focused on mochi treats because I think to me that is something special and it's something that isn't offered here right now. So I will definitely make that a majority of my menu, I think, because I personally love cookies so much. I dabbled in it and surprisingly just got a really good feedback from my customers and they enjoy it and keep asking about it. So I bring that back for them. But for most part, like I'm not going to start creating cakes or cupcakes anytime soon. Like I'm not trying to get into every single type of baked goods. So I, I would say I'm kind of really stuck on, you know, my mochi baked goods and a cookie here or there.
0: Well, the mochi is obviously very unique, but also the flavors you use often are pretty unique. I mean, I saw Earl Grey tea, hibiscus, matcha, tahini. Is it just because you want to keep them special? Like what's inspiring all these unique flavors?
1: I'm always inspired by everything I know that I didn't want to keep my menu simple like I could I do have like a good old donut with chocolate glaze and sprinkles everyone's favorite but I'm always inspired by my travels everything that I eat that my kids enjoy and what they eat so every month I try to create new menu items and I do try to make it different And, and sometimes those ingredients work and sometimes it doesn't but I'm always experimenting. And so it's important for me, again, to make it a little bit different. You know, who would have known these flavors will work together, but they do. And you can make mochi out of anything and any flavor. So it's been really fun. And I think I do it because it's fun for me to kind of think outside of the box and again, to be creative and to kind of think, oh, what goes well with what? So I'm always challenging myself in that sense.
0: Well, I can see that your products are very high quality and the ingredients you use are very high quality. They're also not inexpensive. Can you share a little bit about how you price these out?
1: Oh, yeah, I would say I'm still working on the pricing out. You're right. Rice flour is not cheap. It's not like a bag of flour It's definitely a lot more expensive. Butter, again, in general, is expensive. Eggs are expensive. This is really not a good time to start a bakery. But, you know, it's your passion. You got to do it. But I think those ingredients in general is expensive. But then, of course, then you add in. Organic matcha, you know, and then organic Earl Grey. The chocolates I use, I try to use really premium chocolate. I usually use chocolate chips without dairy in it because sometimes I like to make dairy-free mochi treats for those who can't have dairy. Those would cost a little bit more, right? So they are expensive. I definitely beginning, I was winging it. I was like, well, this is what I would pay for it. I would say that it's not exactly the smartest business thing to do. I think it's important that you do understand how to price everything out. So I stumble upon Kate cost to kind of see how I can price my goods. I recently attended a home-based food entrepreneur conference, which you also participated in. And that was super helpful. I think there was a lot of lecture about pricing food because at the end of the day, I do want to make this a successful business. And I do have to price it correctly because I also need to get paid as well. But it is hard for me because I also want people to enjoy them. And would people pay this much for, you know, mochi muffin and... I always doubt myself, but I think moving forward, I am using an app that would help me hopefully break down my costs better and really understand how to make real profit.
0: So can you walk me through what your products are priced at right now?
1: My goods right now is between 350 to 450, depending on the ingredients that I use. So for mochi muffin is a little bit cheaper. Unless it's like a special mochi muffin. My mochi donuts are definitely more than $4 because I use real fruit. I don't use artificial flavoring. That's not what I do. So again, fresh fruit-based glazes would cost more, right? So I do charge over $4 with those. And then I also make cakes as well and my cookies are definitely cost around 450 right now because they're over four ounces usually depending on the toppings that i use in it or the ingredients that i use in it
0: yeah so four dollars for one donut or four dollars for one muffin from what i can see online i wouldn't say these look like they're huge but that actually, that pricing doesn't super surprise me. I've seen that pricing from specialty bake shops are gluten-free and are targeting a very specific type of customer. But what is the customer reaction like, you know, when you're at events or whatever? Like, do people turn their nose up to it? Do you get pushback or are people totally fine with it?
1: You know, in the beginning when they didn't know my products, it was definitely was like, oh, for a mochi muffin? Like, what kind of special muffin is it? (laughs) And it's like, I get it. You know, they obviously don't understand what I'm using in there and what kind of ingredients I use. But a year later, now that I think people are more open to trying specialty desserts and treats. So they are willing to pay the price to try it. And and once they try it, they like, oh my gosh, they love it. But I still get those, a handful of those customers who think that I'm charging $4.50 for a dozen donuts. I'm like, oh, no, 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 sir. $4.50 for one donut. (laughs) And and they definitely was like, oh, yeah, no, I can go somewhere else. And it's like, that's fine. You know, it is what it is, not for everybody. So I would say, majority, most of my customers don't even blink at that price tag. They're okay to pay it because a lot of them also know what they're going to get.
0: Now, I saw that you, you know, sell half dozen amounts online, you sell dozen amounts. And you charge exactly double for a dozen. Why haven't you set your pricing to be less per unit for a dozen and a little more per unit for a half dozen?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a strategy I can use. But I have found that most of my customers order half dozens because they actually want to try more flavors. When I do have a dozen, because I'm doing such a small batch, I can't give them, let's say the donuts, right? I can't give them a variety of glazes on the donuts. You have to pick one glaze per half dozen because it's not feasible for me to make six different glazes for a half dozen, you know, at one time. It doesn't make sense. So I have found that most of them actually order by half-dozens because they want to get different flavors anyway. It's rare that they will want like a whole dozen. So I just, I haven't really need to do it to kind of price it the way that you mentioned. But it would be a good strategy, I think, if I get bigger orders and if I want to kind of really focus more on big events like, I don't know, weddings or big birthday parties or corporate events. But I'm not there yet.
0: So you don't have any kind of incentive for them to get a discount or something if they order multiple half dozens?
1: No, not that kind of discount, but I do offer a variety box sometimes. Sometimes I think people do ask for them. So when I have the time, I would offer, you know, this Saturday only pick up a box of six different treats, you know, contain like a donut cookie, a mini cake or whatever it might be. And that's always goes well with the folks because again, they, they like the variety, but not in the pricing structure, not yet.
0: Looks like you also like to do holiday boxes.
1: I do. They're really fun for me, especially on like special holidays or every month there's always something going on, right? So like last month was AAPI Heritage Month. So I wanted to do something special so I made like this citrusy lemon mochi bund cake which feeds 12 plus people and then part of the sales also was donated to part of dinner um so I love doing stuff like that and then other months like with June last year I did like a pride box with different colored donuts It's just fun. It's just a way to push, again, my creativity to push myself to just start something that is fun and delicious for everyone.
0: I saw on your order form that you have an option when somebody's buying donuts to pay an extra $5 to stack the donuts as a cake. I've never seen that before. (laughs) Where did that come from? And do people...
1: A customer. I'm always inspired by my customers. Someone literally... I made a donut cake. A mochi donut cake, I guess, is how I should call it. For a friend, and I posted a picture of it. And then I got... Someone's like, oh, I want that. Can you make that for me? And I was like, sure. I mean... They could also buy the box and stack it themselves. But I was like, you know what? Maybe it could be something. So I just offer as an option. And one customer loved it and, and was like, oh, can you please put this into a cake form for me? I'm like, sure, why not? So I offer it. I would say not everyone does it, but it's something that I can do for you or you can do yourself, right? To stack your mochi donuts.
0: And then you also have like individual cakes that you sort of position for events.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I make these like mini mochi cake. They come in a rectangular tin and it's really cute. I actually started at the farmer's market and people really like it. I put like a knife on it so they can cut it up and share with people. It's just another thing to do. I have customers who buy it for teacher appreciation week. It's a great way to individually give them to folks. Um, But yeah
0: where are you selling your products mostly?
1: Yeah. So summertime, some farmer's market is definitely my busiest time. I sell them at Needham Farmer's Market. That's where I started last year. I only did one market last year and this year I'm doing three markets. So I'm slowly you know, putting myself out there, which is definitely a little bit scary as well. And I don't bake them days in advance. So I know that. You know, with cakes, you can sometimes bake them in advance, squeeze them, and then frost them for the day off. So you have like a week to really build up your inventory for farmer's market. I don't really get that because mochi really tastes good the day off. So much like, you know, a French croissant, you do have to wake up early and you do have to bake them. So right now I'm doing three farmer's markets. One of them is later in the morning, which is helpful. I don't have to wake up that early. And then there's another two also around the local town, one in Newton, one in Rosendale. And that's an early farmers market. So I do have to wake up really early for those to kind of start my oven and start baking. But so far it's been really fun and I do really well there. Like people just really like trying my stuff at farmers market and you know, they know where to find me. So that helps a lot.
0: So Mochi has a really short shelf life, it sounds like, and that adds quite a bit of uh, challenges when it comes to building a sustainable business. So when you're going to a market, like how have you figured out like how much to make?
1: Yeah, it was definitely trial and error. I mean, again, this is my second year doing this farmer's market. So the first year doing it, it was definitely a learning experience. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know that, you know, when it rains, it really affects the foot traffic, things like that. I just kind of like made up some numbers and just did it. So I kept all that record. I kept like a whole Excel sheet, how much I make, what the weather was like that day, like how was the foot traffic, what sold, what didn't. So I had that to go back to But second year in, I definitely have learned a lot more. And also I connected with the vendors that were there last year at the farms market. And they, you know, some vendors have been there for five years or have been doing it for like five plus to 10 years. And they gave me great tips. So I just kind of listened to them, learned a lot from them. And second year in, it's definitely a lot better. But it's still, again, different markets, right? Different foot traffic, different days of the week that also changes. So it really depends on the market themselves. But I think I have a better grasp now. But you're right, it's hard with my desserts because it definitely doesn't stay fresh for long. It wouldn't taste that good. I mean, you can still eat it a couple days, but it's just really tastes best a day off.
0: So what is your prep schedule looking like when you're doing a market?
1: The cookies I can bake in advance or I can make the dough and freeze them, which helps before I bake them. So that helps a lot as well with my timing. But with all the batter that I have, I can make them at least two days in advance. So I would make all the batter two days before the market. The day before the market, I would basically prep all my supplies. I would bake my cookies then because they would stay fresh in a sealed package as well. So I can do that. But that's the only thing. And then that morning of the farmer's market, I would wake up depending maybe four to five hours before the actual start of the market and start baking. So my market starts at nine. I think... My last time, my market started at 9 and I woke up at 3.30. And I got to tell you, I have not woken up at 3.30 since like my babies were born. (laughs) So it was really hard. But, you know, you got to do it. I want them fresh. I need them fresh and they taste better that way anyway. So, but yeah, that's kind of what it looks like for market day.
0: Well, with products like the ones you're selling, like the ideal would be to do pre-orders, right? And to have it all set up so you just make exactly what you need to make. How much of your business is events and pop-ups versus doing pre-orders?
1: You know, for now, I would say, again, it's my second season in. So summer markets are really big for me. So pretty much every weekend, I have a market. I planned out a market and they do really well. The pre-orders also do well. The holidays, right, always does well because everyone's ordering for the holidays. I would say my slowest time is definitely after the holidays, you know, New Year's resolution. People just kind of slow down. And I think it also, you know, I'm a home baker. so my bakery is my home. You know, I don't necessarily have a brick and mortar. So I think that's also a little different. People don't see me. They don't walk into town and see a store they can just walk into. Like they have to think about pre-orders. So I do have to market myself frequently, put myself out there, post as much as I can to kind of make sure people still, hey, remember that I'm here. I still do better at markets than pre-orders, but again, depends on the season.
0: Now, do you do sampling at markets?
1: I don't. I have to get a special permission for it or I have to do another step in with a health inspector in order sure. for me to sell samples. So, you know, the first year I didn't do it. I think it was, I don't think they even had the option. This year I decided, well, you know, hopefully it's the returning customers that are coming back, which actually many were returning customers. So I didn't really need to offer samples. And maybe I'll have like one customer that asked me, do you have any samples? Like, no, I don't. But again, it's not you know, stopping anyone else from really buying it and trying it.
0: Well, one thing I'll say is that just from the picture is like your products look really good. Like you seem to have a really good eye for design, which you said you're in HR. So it doesn't sound like it's necessarily in your corporate background. I mean, where does that come from?
1: Well, I actually went to college to study television and ended up with a concentration in video production. So that was my job to be creative. That was my studies. And then shortly after I graduated college, I worked in New York City and worked in TV as well. So again, that's kind of what I do. So I always had that kind of creativity in the background. You know, I just stumbled upon HR because, you know... They paid well. <laughs> it was for the money. I did it for the money. <laughs> Changing careers when I moved to the Bay Area. They didn't really have television production per se. Now they do because now like Netflix and Facebook do their own you know productions as well. But when I moved there, there was nothing. So I had to kind of change careers so I can be in that city. And I stumble upon HR. But definitely I would say that the video production background helped me with my design and my look of everything. <laughs>
0: So it sounds like you lost this sort of like creative element when you chose to go into HR. Did you feel like unfulfilled with your work? And if you did, as like has that come back?
1: I wouldn't say it's unfulfilled. I always knew I wanted to be working for people, like you know HR. Is definitely helping people. It's it's helping the employees of that company. It's working with them to kind of figure out solutions. So I always knew I want to be in a job that enables me to do so as well. I'm I'm a people person, definitely. I'm definitely an extrovert. I get energy from people. So being in HR, I don't think I necessarily missed out on anything. It was just part of my path, right? Part of my career path that I needed to take. And then from then, I found out that, well, maybe it's not forever. I don't have a problem changing careers. You know, I definitely have popped around and tried different things. I have no problem starting from the beginning. So, you know, it's just part of my journey. So definitely no regrets there. And now this is definitely something more to what I want to do that probably gives me more joy. Because, again, I'm using that side of my brain that I enjoy using being creative.
0: Well, it sounds like you definitely were able to take your HR background and it directly tied into this business.
1: That's true. I know. See, I have that. That could be the reason why I was there for a while. It's definitely useful. I would have to say having that background is definitely useful.
0: Do you think that your interest in, you know, creativity and design, not just for creating the products, but also for marketing taking pictures do you think that's why this business has done so well in just a year's time
1: I think it helped I I have to say I'm not a social media person like I don't really do social media before this I have a personal page I really updated it. I was forced. Of course, you have to do what you got to do as a business owner and the one person running the show. Like, you know, I forced myself to get into it. I forced myself to take pictures and to, you know, it was definitely a lot of work. It was definitely a learning experience. I'm sure if you scroll back to some of my pictures before versus now, you know, how to edit these photos, like it helped having that background. But Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. I'm I'm definitely that's not my comfort zone. It's it was it was a very interesting learning experience there.
0: What would you recommend to somebody who is like social media is not really their realm, but it's kind of a necessary evil, like you you're, you you got to do it. What have you learned or what would you recommend to somebody else who's jumping in and getting started?
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that. Um Go say just do it. I mean, I don't use a fancy camera or nothing. I use my phone, my good old iPhone 12 mini, like it's not even like the latest phone and it works fine. Learn how to use your phone practice in front of natural light. So thank goodness for my big windows. Like I do take everything in front of it. It definitely helps with photos. I do minimal editing and you know, it's just play around with it. You just have to do it, play around it, take those crappy pictures and eventually it will be better. You know, it will get better, but you do have to do it. And and it's not always going to be perfect in the beginning. It's still not like I'm still learning different ways. I'm still following. I love following other bakeries and other people who are influencers who only, you know, do this for their living. And I'm always inspired by them. So follow people who you think have the look that, you want and be inspired by them as well so continue to always learn that way but it's also really helpful so of course I can't say that I do it perfectly like them but you know at least I have an idea of how I want it to look so at least I can go about that way of creating the style that I want
0: did you have any kind of like marketing or business experience before starting this
1: not whatsoever. I don't have a marketing degree or nothing like that. I never studied or worked in marketing. But yeah, I was just learning from scratch, learning what other people are doing and going from there. And what's so great is that there also are people out there who wants to teach you tips and tricks, you know? So there's so many resources out there, so many influencers and Instagram pages where, oh, you want to start a home bakery or you want to take better pictures? Like, follow me, you know? So again, so many resources, so much information out there that can teach you how to do this as well.
0: What are some of the resources that you found particularly helpful?
1: I follow the local bakeries around me. I love them. We have a few like home bakers as well around me. So I'm always following their website. There is another website that I follow. She's a pretty small. She used to own a home bakery. It's called Just Bake Cost. Um, I follow her sometimes. She gives good tips. There's another bakery called Pink Crumbs. I believe that's the name of it. She gives, again, tips and tricks on how to start a bakery. So those are like the resources that I just, you know, I just follow them. And then they always kind of share tip of the day and I love it. And and that's how I learn.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you about your name and brand. Pretty unique. Like, how did you come up with the name?
1: So it's funny. It's, I wish I have a better story, but I started another Instagram page called Every Day. So I started that page because, again, I just quit my job. I have nothing to do. And I started to like share pictures of things I bake or what I'm doing to my home like how I'm designing my new home because I just moved to my first house ever and you know I started that page and I was like trying to think of names and I was like oh my goodness like don't name my bakery after myself no like don't name it after my children kind of but no like And then I think a sign was like, why don't you just name it Susan Everyday Bake Shop or something or bakery or like Susan Everyday Bakery. And I was like, well, okay, I don't want my name in there, but Everyday Bake Shop has a ring to it. So that kind of just stuck. And I love the word everyday because instead of just buying a good old brownie, like I want mochi donuts and mochi muffins to be a norm. So I love that it could be shared every day or or part of like every day's life kind of thing. I don't know. That's how I thought about it. And it kind of works.
0: Well, also one thing I noticed with your like logo and just like the look of your brand, it's so simple. I mean, it's exceedingly simple and minimalistic, but... It also is intentionally that way. Like, how did you d- decide to like go with this like extreme minimalist brand?
1: Yeah, so I would have to thank my husband, who is actually a designer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she built my website and he made my logo. I didn't know where I wanted to do with it. I don't want to put any pictures on it. Like I didn't, nothing was really popping up to me at that time. Because I know like when you look at bakeries and the logos, it's really cute. There's a picture of a cupcake or a cookie or a whisk. And I was like, that's really adorable. But nothing really kind of stood out to me because, you know, how do I represent mochi? Like that was my focus in the beginning. Just mochi is like, how do I represent mochi? I just couldn't find anything. So my husband created this logo for me. I said, I want it simple and I wanted these colors. That's all I knew. Black and pink, you know, light pink. And he made it and it kind of stuck. And I like it too. Like, I I think I like that it's minimalized. I like that it's not that distracting. And it could be, you know, anything. It, it, It could give me an opportunity to kind of, you know, make other things like cookies and not just mochi treats.
0: Well, as you think back on the past year plus, like, what has the progression been like? And has anything surprised you?
1: You know, I would definitely say that it's been a very organic growth. It's not like fast paced. I'm not always selling out or have crazy big orders. But it's been very like subtle. And it's been growing steadily. And I think that was what I expected. I mean, sure, I wish that it would totally hit right off the bat and, you know, everyone will love my stuff and everyone will want it and I'll be like sold out every weekend. But it's not that. And I, it's great in a sense because I am learning along the way. So I am, again, slowly learning. I'm learning every day. I'm learning every month on how to always improve and, and make this better. I don't think there's any major surprise surprises per se. I would say the hardest part is definitely connecting. I think it's always important to continue your networking and how do I go about doing that as a home baker. So that's a, that's a little struggle for me right now is to put myself out there. And again, nothing nothing too surprising so far.
0: Have there been points where you doubted yourself or wondered if this is a business that you should keep on doing?
1: All the time, every month. <laughs> every month I'll be like, maybe I should go back to corporate. Maybe this is not going to work, but it's only been roughly a year I I mean, I don't know what to expect, but I also have to be really realistic with my goals. But sometimes I do wonder, like, am I not doing enough? Should I do more? Like, how can I put myself out there? Like, where's the next step for me? Where should I be selling? Is it sustainable? How do I take care of my family? That's always on top of my head. You know, my family is the most important part of me and I want to take care of them. I'm I've definitely always been taking care of others type of person. I've been working my entire life. I've been working since I was 14, you know. So it's definitely, you know, hard in that sense. But so far, you know, it is what it is. And again, I'm taking one day at a time, one market at a time. And we'll see where it goes. Things could totally change in a year but for now, I'm having fun. This business has given me so much joy, meeting new people, customers, being able to create. is definitely what I am doing right now and what I enjoy doing right now. So,
0: I believe that Massachusetts allows you to sell wholesale. Is that something that you've looked into?
1: This year, I started thinking about that and what does that mean? So I do have to reach out. My town doesn't necessarily have anything to do with it. It's actually the state of Massachusetts. I think that's something where I can still keep my residential permit for wholesale, but I don't know what that step entails. So I do have to do more research. But I mean, I could rent out a commercial kitchen, right, and go the wholesale route. But I don't think I'm there either yet. I don't think I'm that big yet and I can sell that much yet. So, But yeah, that would be the next step that I would have to do a little bit more research this year.
0: Well, as you look forward, where would you like this business to go in the next year or more?
1: That's a great question, and I wish I have a definite. I know where I want to be, but I I'm just taking it a day at a time. To be honest, I I know I don't want to open a brick and mortar per se. I kind of like that I'm able again to have the flexibility to work out of my home without you know the expenses when you own a brick and mortar. That's been really nice. I would definitely want to collaborate more with other businesses. Maybe I do have to look into wholesale. What does that mean? But definitely the collaboration part with maybe popping up in like other stores, coffee shops, being to work with others around my community. I would love to start doing that. That would be really fun to put myself out there and to engage with the community. And again, I don't know exactly what that means, but I don't know. I'm gonna see what happens.
0: Well, what keeps you going? Like what drives you forward and why do you love this business?
1: I love this business because I love sharing what I make. I think food is love. That's kind of how I grew up, you know, in my family. It's always, have you eaten? Are you hungry? You know, and so I love you. It's it's food is love. And and I love that story so that's kind of what I'm sharing my love the food that I would want to feed my children and my family and to show people what mochi is you know teaching others about this type of baked goods I love being able to do that so that definitely motivates me is to kind of sharing these treats with those who might not be familiar with mochi again, to also be able to offer gluten-free options or dairy-free options to those who need them. you know, So that's why I'm here and, and being part of this community means for me right now. And that is definitely a big motivator.
0: Well, it's awesome to see where you come in just a short year's time. And I'm definitely looking forward to see where your business goes in the future. Now, if anybody would like to learn more about your business, how can they find you and reach out?
1: If people want to reach me, you can email me at hello at everydaybakeshop.com. You can check out my website and order through my website at everydaybakeshop.com as well. I also have an Instagram page and a Facebook page. My Instagram handle is everyday.bakeshop. So you can also see what I'm up to. I always update where I'm at, what market pop-ups I'm doing and everything else.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us today. Thank you, David. That wraps up another episode of the Forger Podcast. For more information about this episode, go to Forger.com slash podcast slash 94. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a quick moment right now and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It doesn't have to be a long review, but it's truly the best way to support this show and will help others like you find this podcast. And finally, if you're thinking about selling your own homemade food, check out my free mini course where I walk you through the steps you need to take to get a cottage food business off the ground. To get the course, go to cottagefoodcourse.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.